Let's go in-depth on Hawkeye Sports with the Des Moines Register. It's time for Hawk Central on 1460 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome back to the Hawk Central Radio Show right here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico, a sports columnist who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes for the Des Moines Register, and happy to be back with you after my last week off of the summer. Uh, We've got a lot to discuss on tonight's show, including the fallout at Northwestern and some Iowa football recruiting news all the way up until 7 o'clock. But first, I'm very pleased to be joined by one of the best-kept secrets in college football, Iowa linebackers coach and assistant defensive coordinator Seth Wallace has been Phil Parker's right-hand man for years now and now entering his 10th season as a full-time assistant for the Hawkeyes. Seth, uh, thanks for your time and welcome. Chad, always uh, always good to be on with you and glad that uh, you know there's time this summer to uh, to reach out to members of our staff and um, you know it's always good that we get a chance to kind of deliver some um, you know, information to our fans and and you as well as a as a writer and got a lot of respect for what you do. So I'm glad to uh, glad to be on with you. I really appreciate that sentiment, Seth. Uh, I remember talking to you uh, really early in your Hawkeye ter- tenure when you were recruiting coordinator. Uh, now you're entering year ten. So what emotions or what thoughts are stirred up thinking about being a tenth year full time assistant with the Hawkeyes uh, in your home state? Well, I think uh, you know the biggest thing there is just you know, the, the stability and the foundation that, uh, the coach Ferentz is, um, you know, has, has created here. And, um, and really all the, all the credit goes to him. Um, you know, when you start talking about longevity in, in any of our careers as an assistant here and, and certainly myself, you know, being in my 10th season and, and I, I spent three years here as a graduate assistant. So it's really been 13 now going on 14 as a member of this staff and, some type of capacity, but um, that doesn't happen too many places. Um, we're seeing that more and more in, in college football. Um, yeah. You know, where assistants are, um, you know, in, in the double digits or, you know, in, in Phil Parker's case, who, who I, you know, it's been a good deal of time with in my career, um, you know, well into their 20s at one school. So I'm very appreciative of, of the opportunity and very thankful that, that I've been able to do it with Coach Ferentz for, for 10 years now. And uh, your, your longevity here you know, stood the test uh, of the Iowa football lawsuit, which was settled in early March. I'm sure that had to affect um, your life in, in some way, shape, or form. You know, From April 2022 to February 2023, you were a defendant in a racial discrimination lawsuit, despite never having one racial bias claim that I ever saw or, or ever, that was ever made publicly against you. Um, just to fill our listeners in, you were dropped from the case before the settlement was reached. But uh, given this opportunity, I just wanted to give you a chance to speak to any piece of that process or chapter that you would like to address, because I know you couldn't say anything about it during those 10 months. Yeah, I don't know that there's there's a whole lot to say there, Chad, other than, um, you know, I guess I'm thankful for the process. Um, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, that it was, um, that it, it ended, you know, I guess in a selfish way. Um, it ended the way it did for myself, but um you know, I'm also, you know, disappointed in the way that, uh, you know, the way that some things were handled. And, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of frustration, you know, over the course of, of many months and, um, you know, our legal system's a little bit interesting, um, <laughs> having, having, having been in it, um, you know, and seen it firsthand, but, um, you know, it's, it's behind us now. And, um, you know, I've got an opportunity to, um, 
you know, continue to be a big piece of the, the, the puzzle here um, on our staff and, and, you know, with our defense. And, you know, I think that the biggest thing is just the fact that it's behind us and we can move forward. And um, there's a real positive outlook, um, you know, on, on what lies ahead. I appreciate that. Uh, Looking back on that 2022 defense, I would say there was really no (laughs) off-field distraction there in terms of the business that was taken care of on defense, especially in the linebackers' room. You held nine opponents to 10 points or less despite being on the field a ton uh, last season. Uh, What made, in your mind, what made that defense in 2022, which is statistically the best ever of the Ferentz era, what made it so good? I think all the credit goes to the players. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing that is unique about, um, you know, our defensive platform, it, um, this defense has, it's, it's been in place, um, you know, since coach Ferentz got here, since Norm arrived. And, um, you know, at that time, Phil was, was Norm's right hand man. Um, and, you know, not a whole lot has changed. There's been some, um, you know, it's had to evolve. You've seen that taking place with, you know, some personnel and some things like that. And, you know, there's some stuff that we're doing differently with the front. And um, But the foundation of it is um, has always um, been, you know, pretty structured. And, you know, we've never wavered from who we are. We're not a defense that is, is real cosmetic. Um, you know, we're just kind of who we are as, mm-hmm. as Norm would all describe it, but um, that, that I think is what has allowed our players to be, um, to have success. Um, but, you know, the, the levels of success has, um, you know, has differed from year to year and, and will continue to. And in this past year, um, you know, obviously statistically there's, there was a lot that was noted um, in regards to our defense, but I think you just got to look at, you got to look at the players, you got to look at, you know, the different pieces, um, you know, the belief that players have in each other. And, um, you know, and then sometimes it just all comes together. And, and last year was a pretty good example of where it all came together, um, really on all three levels of our defense. Um, I think you can look at it and um, you could take a piece from, you know, each, you know, position group and, and say, wow, that was, or multiple pieces in, in, in some cases. But, you know, just a good collection of, of guys that believed in, in, in what we were doing and, and how we were doing it. And uh, Great segue there, Seth, because uh, my next question it, it takes a little bit of, of thought here uh, on your part, so hopefully you can play along with me. So if you're the way Iowa plays defense, uh, take away the names. Try to take, the, take away the names the best you can. If you had to replace one player on that defense, what, which would be the most hardest – which would be the hardest to replace, I should say. Number one, a number 13 overall NBA draft pick on the defensive line with freak physical gifts. Number two, a six foot five middle linebacker uh, who runs the show of, of your defense and packs a physical punch. Or number three, a five-year starter and playmaker at cornerback. Which, which the way you play defense is the, the most difficult to replace? Well, I'd, pro- I'd probably answer this in in a way that nine out of 10 would answer this. And I would tell you that it's difficult to replace all three. Yeah. Um, they've all got a very unique um, position within what we do defensively. And, um, you know, starting with, with Lucas Van Ness and, um, you know, the, the tools that he had um, from a, you know, from a player standpoint, like the, 
you know, it's it's hard to replace there. Um, you know, he he was able to win some one-on-one battles where, um, you know, maybe some other guys, um, you know, didn't quite have, you know, the advantage that he had. And, you know, you talk about Jack Campbell being in the middle of our defense and um, being a guy that, uh, you know, that, that always had to, um, you know, make the calls and get us, get us set up. And then, you know, Riley Moss, what he was doing at corner. Um, but I, you know, I would, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like Batman and Robin, like, you know, there, there's always, there's always somebody else. And whether it's, um, you know, whether it was Noah Shannon, um, doing, doing the unnoticeable work, mm-hmm. you know, that Lucas would get credit for at times, or whether it was Seth Benson, you know, doing what he was doing to, um, you know, maybe, you know, add to some of, you know, the notoriety that, that Jack Campbell was getting or, um, you know, even Kayvon Merriweather or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Quinn Schulte doing what they have to do at the safety position to try to, you know, put Riley in, you know, maybe a better, uh, a better situation. So it's, they're all three really hard to replace. Um, and, you know, that is, that's our challenge. That's been our challenge since, uh, since January when we turned the page and, and started looking at, um, you know, what we were going to be this coming year. Um, you know, but I, I think, you know, I think we've seen where um, that challenge has been accepted by our players. And um, I think we've got a good chance at, um, you know, at replacing those guys and, um, and having a pretty good defense again. Well, it, from where I sit, my answer would have been the, the Butkus Award winner, six foot five, 250 pound Jack Campbell. So let's focus on your room, the linebackers room where you are replacing uh, Jack Campbell and Seth Benson. Um, it looks like you know the, the front runners for that position would be Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson. Um, you know, I'm I'm six foot one, and I don't think either guy is taller than me. So it's a little different look, I would say, to your linebackers room. Uh, how would having a, a smaller set of linebackers maybe be any kind of adjustment in your eyes? Um, I, I don't know that it's going to be much of an adjustment. I think there was there was a luxury with Jack in the middle. Um, you know, and and his in his frame and his size. But, you know, if you, if you go back and, and look at, you know, some of the other guys that we've had a lot of success with and, and the Neiman brothers had, they had a little bit of a linear build to them. And mm-hmm. so did Christian and all three of those guys are, are still playing um, professionally right now. But um, you know, I think you got to look at, you know, how productive Seth Benson was for us. Cause he does um, his, his measurements are, you know, a little bit more in line with Jay Higgins or Kyler Fisher or Nick Jackson, um, you know, Jaden Harrell, any of those guys that I believe are, are kind of, um, you know, competing for, you know, positions, um, you know, with within our linebacker room. But, you know, Josie Jewell, um, yeah, Anthony Hitch, yeah. you know, I mean, those, those guys were James Morris. Um, you know, those guys weren't overly linear, Um in regards to their frame and, and they played a lot of good football for us. And there's some things that you have to do, um, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, you might have to, you might have to, you know, focus a little bit more on where you didn't with a Jack Campbell, but um, you know, Jack will continue to get the same coaching points at the next level that, you know, that I had to give to him. And one thing that, you know, that he found to, you know, to be something that he always had to fight against was his size was not, um, you know, was not always great when it comes to leverage, um, sure. you know, having, you know, being able to keep his pads underneath some of the guys that he was faced with, 
um, you know, in, in blocking schemes where these guys inherently do have that leverage because they're not as they're not as linear, not as tall. But um, you know, it'll be it'll be it'll be a challenge. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, we'll see how it goes as as we get into early August. Um, you know, with the mixture of this group and um, you know how it all how it all falls into place. But you know, the one thing I would I would say right now is it's um, you know my wife and I and, and our kids and and my parents were over and, and my brother and his wife and their kids. We had a we had a huge family deal last night, and then we invited all sixteen of the linebackers that are on campus right now over and um, had dinner and they were in the pool playing with the kids and, and having a real good time. And the one thing that I would, um, you know, I would touch on, is just, you know, this, this group of guys are, they're pretty special. And, and it's been that way for years. Um, just the, the close knit fraternity that they have um, right now at that position. I don't know that I deserve any credit for that. I think that credit goes to <laughs> the players that have come before them and, um, you know, the Neemans, the Welches, the Bensons, the Jewels, the Bowers, um, you know, just the way that that room has shaped, um, you know, has been shaped, you know, over the last, you know, however many years is, is pretty uh, pretty cool to, to look at. Do you have a sense for, for whether Nick or Jay will be kind of your middle linebacker, or is that still to be determined? It's still to be determined. Um, you know, the way that we do things, um, so you're never caught with um, – you know, like when when the depth chart comes out, you know, you guys see it. I can't and, wait. And, I can't wait. And, I'm gonna overthink we, it. <laughs> and we have to we have to put it to print um, only to, um, you know, I guess only to, you know, to give you guys something to talk about. Uh, <laughs> but but those those linebackers, um, they are all trained at all three positions, mm-hmm. and the way it's done that way is so then the next best linebacker. Um, goes into the game. It's not necessarily the the one that shows up on the depth chart. Um, it's always, you know, the next best one. So, um, you know, they're all trained, you know, like I said, at, at all three positions. And um, it's been that way since Nick got here. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's obviously been a learning curve. Um, but, you know, I tell you, he's, he's actually at the end of the month, he's going to be roommates with, with Jay Higgins and Kyler Fisher, if you believe it or not. Um, because those are also two guys that he's competing against, you know, the, to get on the field. And um, but that's why I go back to the the uniqueness of the room and the relationships and you know the selflessness and um, you know just the way that those guys are. Um, but to, to say that one or the other is going to be our middle linebacker right now, I don't know that I can say that. I just I hope that I hope that you know a majority of these guys can all play off of each other and. Um, you know, we'll figure out who gives us the best chance, you know, based on position as we get closer to the end of August. You're listening to Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Hawkeye football with Iowa assistant defensive coordinator Seth Wallace, also the linebackers coach. Uh, let's let's stay focused on the linebackers here, Seth, in our last seven minutes or so. Uh, do you have a number three? I mean, I assume, you know, I know you're really high on Higgins, right? And, uh, you know, we think Jackson's probably going to be pretty good. Uh, do you have kind of that, you know, when you're talking about best – Next best guy, you know, you do a four-two-five, um, you're four-three. So that third guy is going to probably play a lot. So do you do you have kind of a front runner for that third position right now? You know, I would, I would put Kyler Fisher in there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kyler is Kyler's kind of been like a Swiss Army knife for us in a lot of ways, um, and I say that in respect to you know what he's done special teams wise and 
um, and then what I saw, you know, during the during the spring. But um, you know, Carson Shire um, has has always been a guy that's been on the fringe, and and he's been he's been hindered by you know a couple um, injuries here and there, but but seems to be you know healthy right now at this point, headed into you know the last part of July and then into into August. Zach Tweet, Jaden Harrell. Um, those are all guys that are sitting mm-hmm. in that third year. Um, you know, Kyler's Kyler's been here longer than that, but you know, the, the those three guys that I just mentioned there are all guys in their third year. Kelby Thielander, Jackson Rexroth. Um, you know, those are all three year guys. So I, I think it's you know it's obviously going to be a group that's not going to get talked about a ton, um, and and that's that's all right. I think these guys are okay with that. Um, but I you know I th- I think there's there's going to be real good depth. There's going to be real good competition. Um, there's going to be limited expectations, you know, just because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not Jack Campbell. It's not Seth Benson guys that have, um, have owned those positions prior to, you know, the, the coming season, but um, that's good. I, I think that's, that's where we want to be. And um, these guys have embraced that and, you know, we're certainly looking forward to it, but, you know, to, to go back to your question on if there was a third, I would put I would put Kyler Fisher, um, you know, in lane four. But you know, there's some guys in three and five that are uh, that are right there with him. Uh, one of our listeners had a question, Seth, about um, you know today's offenses that you face a lot of misdirection, a lot of speed on the edges in the offense. How would you rate your speed at the linebacker position overall? Um, I, you know, I would I would say that it's. You know, speed, speed is. Uh, I just I got some numbers this morning sitting in my mailbox at the office, and you know, regards to guys' speed and. Um, oh, you know, perfect! A lot of, you can tell us. <laughs> a lot of a lot of it is all measured linearly, or linear, um, not linear, linear. Um, and there's really not a whole lot that is linear when it comes to football. Sure. Um, yeah, that's you know, especially, true. Especially the linebacker position. So it's more. Um, you know, when when I look at speed at the linebacker position, I'm not necessarily looking at those numbers. Those numbers are one measurable, but it's more, um, you know, the way that a, the way that a player navigates himself on the field. And um, you know, there's another you know 21 guys out there that he's got to avoid. Um, not to mention you know blocking schemes and everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's more the to me the speed that I'm concerned with is, um, you know, when that when that ball snapped, you know, how quickly can they, you know, figure it out and get to it. That was kind of what Nick Jackson said he was really good at when we talked to him a few weeks ago. He said, I, I know how to get to the ball and avoid yep. people. Yep. Is that what you see yep. too with him and Higgins? Yes. Uh, I, I do. And mm. some of that is, you know, I, I talk about the difference between guys that are willing and guys that want to. And, um, you know, I'm not looking for guys that are willing. I'm looking for guys that, that want to. And, you know, if they've got the want to get to the football, then they'll get to it. Um, and, you know, that's I think that's one characteristic that um, for years now um, at the linebacker position at, at the University of Iowa, and I, I take that all the way back to, to when I was here with Norm and, and had a chance to um, to kind of, you know, be groomed in the, in, the, in the defensive linebacker world by him. You know, our linebackers have always wanted to get to the football. That's um, awesome. And I... And I think that's that's displayed, you know, um, week in and week out. Absolutely, yeah. I think about Josie Jewell in that respect. Um, one no listener doubt. question: uh, We only have a few minutes left here, but uh, is there a team or scheme that presents the most 
uh, challenge for your defense to prep for or game plan for at Iowa? Um, you know, it's it's always been. I mean, just based on how we're, you know, we're a four two, we're a four two five or a four three. Um, let's just start with the fact that there's four guys up front that all have their hand in the dirt. Um, you know, when a team when a team starts to spread you out, um, you know, laterally across the field, um, you know, we we still have four down linemen, um, meaning that you know there's other teams out there that are based in a three man front, and you know when you're in a three man front, you've got another another player that you're able to use on the second or third level, and um, and we just haven't got to that. Um, we kind of know who we are in our in our four down, but um, we also know who we aren't. Um, so mm-hmm. when teams do spread us out, you know, I, I think we've, we've got, you know, we usually get a, a set of answers, um, to kind of combat that. So, you know, that's, we just, you know, it's, it's good to know who you are and who you aren't. Um, I can tell you that. And, um, you know, we, we know what to do when, when teams present us with those type of issues. All right. I've only got one minute left, so you're going to have to be quick on this answer, even though we could talk about it for like five minutes. Uh, what are your coaching aspirations? You're still five years younger than me, uh, so you're super young. Uh, what Do you want to be a D.C.? Do you want to be a head coach? You know, I, I've always looked at it this way, and, and I grew up a coach's kid, and I watched my father, um, you know, be a coordinator. I watched him be a head coach. Um, you know, I just – I think, you know, the one thing that, that I've always wanted to do is just be real good at what – you know, what I'm asked to do. And I think that's worked out in my career um, well up to this point. I think that'll just continue to be the way that I, I approach things and to have the relationship I've got with Phil. Um, you know, it, it allows me to, you know, from an ego standpoint, you know, th- there's a lot of things that um, that he allows me to do with, with what we're doing defensively. And, um, but, you know, outside of just being a real good coach and trying to stay in my lane and, <laughs> do the best I can um you know I, I think I think whatever happens beyond that is is probably a byproduct of you know just focusing on doing a real good job and and not getting too far ahead of your skis yeah good diplomatic answer but uh, I predict that you're going to be a defensive coordinator somewhere next year and that's so Hawkeye fans um need to enjoy you while you're here so appreciate your time and I know Hawkeye fans appreciate your time uh on the on the Hawkeye staff thanks Seth Yes, thanks, Chad. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, and I'll see you at Iowa Football Media Day. So um, take care. Uh, Coming up next, uh, turmoil at at another Big Ten West program and the Hawkeyes football recruiting surge marches on. You're listening to Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register and Hawk Central on 106.3 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes, it's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. As always, thanks again to Iowa linebackers coach Seth Wallace for joining me to offer insight into the Hawkeyes' 2023 defense and more. Meantime, as you probably know, lots going on in the Big Ten Conference and Iowa football this week. And to discuss those developments and more, it's a pleasure to welcome back a special friend of the program, Tom Kakert of HawkeyeReport.com and uh, On3. Tom, how you doing? Uh, doing, uh, doing well, um, and thanks for having me on. And, and it's always a, always a pleasure to be on talk some, uh, talk some stuff. Uh, we got a lot to talk about this week. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And uh, I'm not, I know we've got the home and home agreement. So uh, the listeners yeah. should stay tuned for our uh, annual win totals podcast on, on Tom's feed at uh, Hawkeye Reports. So looking forward yeah. to that uh, probably in a couple weeks. Yes, that'll be fun. Got my best bets. Uh, you know, I got to figure those out. But but last year's under for Michigan State was a beauty. So, yeah. So I got to come up with another Easy good cash. one. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one that I that I placed. I, I give the listeners some some insight. But uh, on Friday, after some news broke, I did uh, I did venture out and under the three and a half for the. Uh, the cats, the Northwestern Wildcats. Well, a uh, good yeah. segue, Tom, because uh, yeah. we're that's where we're going to start uh, tonight's conversation. Uh, probably the news of the Big Ten offseason uh, oh, is Northwestern yeah. football, which we we did not anticipate. Pat Fitzgerald is out as Northwestern's head coach, hazing in in the Northwestern program. Um, kind of uh, was the thrust of what took him down, uh, involved alleged coerced sexual acts against freshman players who made mistakes. Uh, big props to the Daily Northwestern for their reporting and bringing this disturbing story to light. Uh, there were also, as of Monday, um, allegations of racist comments attributed to white players uh, and kind of a culture within the program dating to the late 2000s. So, a uh, very similar time frame to what we <laughs> dealt with uh, in the Iowa program three years ago. Three years ago, I guess. When you think about the comparisons, Tom, and just this whole situation, what is your initial reaction? Yeah, it's different. Um, just because I, I never felt like a lot of the players or many of the players were pointing fingers at the head coach. Three years ago, they were asking the head coach to fix it, and they were pointing fingers at the strength and conditioning coach. Um, and this time, it was fingers pointing directly at Fitz. That was that was it. I mean, they were just just nobody else was no other coach was mentioned. Right, nobody else was mentioned. So, you know, with with the Iowa thing, it was definitely more about Chris Doyle and uh, and. The, the weight room and strength and conditioning program more than anything else. Yeah, and uh, I mean, the the essential core issue here um, in, in both situations was program oversight, right? Uh, I mean, the Northwestern, yeah. you know, the, the Northwestern president, Michael Schill, who has only been at the school less than a year after coming from Oregon, <laughs> welcome to the Big Ten. Um, you know, he, he uh, talked about, you know, that Fitzgerald should have known uh, what was going on within his program. And, and I think that was part of the deal with Ferentz too. But like you said, uh, there was no um, Chris Doyle, so to speak, um, to uh, kind of center the the complaints on. And that's where the, the complaints largely were for Iowa. But again, um, that was kind of what the deal was, Tom, was Pat Fitzgerald should have known this was going on. And, and Feel free to Google <laughs> if you don't know exactly what's going on in Northwestern. Just Google the stuff uh, from North, Daily Northwestern. Uh, we're not going to get into all the, you know, the, the sexual stuff. allegations. Uh, it's not really um, it'd be kind of rehash and, and take us too long at this point. But um, I guess in that sense, the it, program oversight was was similar. But uh, Ferentz avoided, you know, a firing, and, and Fitz did not. Yeah, it wasn't like they were just like snapping towels on guys coming out of the shower kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, you're just kind of goofing around in the locker room. It was, this was, this was some weird stuff. 
And, you know, it's just going to be weird. I mean, we're like, what, two weeks away from Big Ten Media Days, and, and you know, I'm just so used to seeing Fitz there and hearing him at the end of his thing as Go Cats and everything. I mean, he was Mr. Wildcat. Yeah, purple he sport really coat. Yeah, I mean, 30 I years, mean, basically. Just, yeah, I mean, as a player, I mean, I even, you know, I sent something on our message boards the other day. I You know, you kind of thought when they – um, announced that they were going to rebuild or, or, or do a new Ryan Field, and that eventually when Fitz retired, that there'd probably be a statue outside of there of half Fitzgerald because he's just kind of Mr. Wildcat. And now it's all gone. Just oof. I mean, who would have thought if somebody would have told you on Friday morning, hey, Pat Fitzgerald's going to be out as Northwestern's coach by Monday night, I would have told you they were nuts. Yeah. You know, just it's crazy to think because he was such an institution there and so intertwined with with Northwestern. I mean, when you think of Northwestern football, you think of Pat Fitzgerald. You do. Absolutely. It's three decades, you know, as a player and now coach. Yeah. And now, poof, gone. And uh, um, now you wonder how that program and they were struggling. I mean. How's this for something funny that his last win was against Scott Frost in, <laughs> in Ireland? Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And, and and now and now look at the Big Ten West that where you know Kirk Ferentz is going to have to ask for name tags. <laughs> you know when they go to the Big Ten West meeting because the only guys that are still around are him, PJ Flack, and and uh, and Brett Bielema. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Everybody else is new. You yeah. know, four first year coaches. Yep. In the West. Yeah. And uh, as I pointed wow. out in my column that posted Tuesday morning, uh, the two coaches remaining in the West that with experience are Fleck, who Ferentz is 7-0 and against Lifetime, including 6-0 and at Minnesota, and his former assistant in Bielema. So uh, Ferentz yeah. is definitely the, uh, you know, the dean and the, uh, the fixture in the Big Ten West yeah. in its final I- year. And I think both of us tweeted this out yesterday, the longevity of the Big Ten. I mean, now James Franklin's second in tenure, and he's just yeah. entering his 10th year. And I Harbaugh's mean, third. Just, yeah, Harbaugh, third. Um, yeah. Tom Allen, third. You know, or fourth, fourth I guess. Fourth, yeah. Fourth, you know, yeah. fourth with PJ. Yeah. yeah. Entering year seven. I mean, it's just... You know, I, the Tom Allen one surprised me. I was like, boy, I, that guy hasn't seemed like he's been around for seven years. But yeah, this may be it. There he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for Mr. Allen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there was, some, you know, the uh, there was some other stuff with the the racial bias stuff, the Wildcat way, the Iowa way. That was a real yeah. parallel. Um, the hairstyles. I mean. Uh, definitely, and that, but that was stuff. Uh, I'm not excusing it in any way, shape, or form, obviously. But those allegations were kind of in the late 2000s, sort of similar to, um, you know, a lot of the major, you know, a big part of the Iowa stuff. Um, it's just a different time too, and, and I think even just these past three years, it's just a, even a more, uh, much different climate. Um, as I kind of pointed out in my column, you know, you know. Northwestern also had a new AD, new president. Iowa, you know, Ferentz had Barta. He had, you know, that that trust for 14 years, the experience, and Bruce Harold had his back. So he was given a chance to fix it, and he has. And you got to give Ferentz credit. I mean, I'd really, uh, you know, as much reporting as we've done on this over the last three years, I mean, the culture has greatly improved. (laughs) 
much more inclusive and, and recruiting continues to go um, very well with black players, with white players. So, um, you know, you'd have to say that Ference has, has um, heard, the, heard the criticism, changed, and uh, the program is better for it. I mean, we just, on Tuesdays or whenever we have media availabilities with football players where, you know, when they used to come to the Tuesday things, I mean, you had to be in your, your Iowa gear. I mean, that's what you had to wear. It was Iowa Iowa stuff, no hats, nothing like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now guys are showing up in, you know, whatever they want to wear and um, and, 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 and wearing that and, and, and being themselves. So, um, a lot of times it's like advertisements for their friends, you know, or for, yeah, right. for the dope boy shirt dope or whatever, boys, yeah. they're, whatever they're selling, you know, and that's, and that's great. I mean, that's part of this era, but that's, that just tells me that, that things have changed because they've been able to, to, uh, express themselves in that way. And, and I think everybody feels more inclusive and comfortable in the Iowa football program. Yeah, one more one more thing on this Northwestern stuff, and uh, who knows? They might not even appear at Big Ten Media Days. I don't know if they will at this point. I don't know if that's yeah. ever happened where a team doesn't come, but uh, this would certainly be maybe an instance of that, but maybe they want uh, to finally change their messaging because I think you and I talked before we did this uh, interview is, is you think, and I, I agree with you, if Northwestern had handled this six-month investigation differently uh, the results of it, that Fitzgerald still may be the coach today. Why don't you expand on those thoughts? Yeah, because what they did was, and being in the business, we, we talk about this fairly often, news dumps on Friday, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you dump bad news, and you hope that nobody pays attention to it. Well, that's what they did. They dumped this. They didn't have a press conference. They just sort of dumped it out. They gave the executive summary. And, you know, the people who were involved in this weren't going to go away and they had and kudos to the the daily northwestern and and the student journalists there who followed up on this story and and got it and and were the first to get it out there and but you know then to me if they would have come out and done this not on a friday news dump but something more important you know a a Thursday afternoon and have a press conference and have the president and the athletic director there and maybe have Fitz there too, just to kind of speak to it yeah. and, and just give them, give the entire summary, redact all the names. The, the names don't need to be known, um, but uh, redact those, but, but um, put it out there and give Fitz a three game suspension and suspend it for the non-con. You do that. And I think Pat Fitzgerald is still the head coach at, at Northwestern uh, today. I really do. I think he's. I think he probably survived it. Everybody would go, "Yeah, that's got some teeth to it." Boy, that was surprising. But they're they're handling this, and Fitz is okay. But when you try and it's you know the old the old Watergate thing where mm-hmm. it's not the crime, it's the cover up. You know, and they yeah. tried to kind of uh, not cover it up, but they tried to sweep it under the rug a little bit and um and this is the result and that there is a similarity there in a way to the iowa stuff three years ago because uh you know james daniels back in 18 2018 2019 went to gary barda and and, uh complained about um you know the way black players were treated and uh the low graduation rates and and really nothing was done and, and that led to the 
you know, outcry on social media. And then, you know, when, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is given a, a two week suspension in the middle of July uh, over over this stuff, then the then you're just handing a microphone to anybody and everybody you know, who was affected and for good reason too, because, uh, not much was really done. And, and when you don't release the report, Tom, you, you suddenly have no, nothing to fall back on. And just those complaints, you know, the barbaric quotes and things like that hit the headlines. And that's where, um, you know, not defend, you know, j- just the, the way Northwestern handled this was, was not good if they, if they truly thought Pat Fitzgerald, um, was the right guy for the job, which, I'm sure they didn't want to fire him as of Friday because that's why they gave him the two-week no. suspension. Yeah, it was foolish. I mean, it's it's just it it's it's a textbook on how to screw this up and make it make your problems worse. Was was exactly what they did, and it's uh, transparent. I always tell people transparency is the is the, the the great disinfectant. You know, it's the great shine a light on it and just be honest. And if you do that. You're gonna. You're much better off. Still more to come here on Hawk Central. We have uh, a new hire to announce yep. on the Hawkeye beat as well. So more on that development next here on 106.3 KXNO. Everything you need to know about the Hawkeyes. It's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register, taking you up to seven o'clock. We lost Tom Caker briefly. Uh, but he is back uh, to talk some Hawkeye football recruiting, or as you like to say in your, your Hawkeye Report podcast, uh, the creepy corner. And it makes me laugh every time you and Randazzo uh, do that, and uh, or, or Matt makes fun of you. And I like how you give him guff about being a Illini fan. So anyway. Yeah. Well, you know who, you know who, uh, Pat Anger is the blame for the creepy corner. Oh, is he? Okay. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Back in the okay. day. Back in the day, Pat used to call me creepy all the time on the podcast. So you would always say, "You ready to get creepy?" And I'm like, all right. So, all right. like, like yeah. many things in my life, I blame Pat Anger for it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's, uh, the Iowa class of 2024 is now up to 19 names. Tom with Jalen Watson, a 5'10", 160-pound D back out of Toledo, by way of Michigan, the most recent commit over the weekend. Feels like Watson Tom is one of those Phil Parker specials, does it not? Yeah, it does. It's um, just one of those guys that seems to fit perfectly for Phil. And he had, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that kind of lean offense, but this kid just he figured it out that you know he was getting recruited as a wide receiver athlete uh, by a lot of other really good schools, and um, he just. He he knows what Phil Parker can do for you if you're a if you're a cornerback or a defensive back. You're you know if you start for him for multiple years, there's a good chance you're going to go uh, get to earn an NFL paycheck at some point. So um, yeah, he's just you know kind of right out of what they uh, what they look for, and you know they had the unique ties too. With um, Watson is the nephew of uh, former Hawk Fred Russell, so mm-hmm. he's. You know, got the, you know, Fred. Fred shoots straight with him about about what it's going to be like at Iowa, and and uh, it's a good fit for him. So they've, they, you know, they had their big recruiting weekend uh, that last weekend in June, and uh, they've almost got a clean sweep coming. I mean, yeah. it's pretty remarkable. 
Was it one or two years ago where Iowa came out of the big weekend with just like one commit or something like that? Yeah, it was right. I want to. Maybe it was the year before the pandemic. Okay. But I knew there was like one of those weekends where it just didn't, you know, things didn't pan out. But here's eight. Or it might eight have been guys, the weekend right? after that. Yeah. Eight guys yeah, since the since the June weekend, or right before that, with Michael Burt. But what has there been a common theme to this class, Tom? Is there a thread that kind of ties this? this class together and, and why it came together like this? That's an interesting thought because I kind of wondered, I'm like, boy, um, how did this, but I think it's about the science of, if there is such a thing for, for football <laughs> recruiting, but just identifying the right guys for your program yeah. uh, that are good fits for your program. And that not only have talent, I mean, these, all these kids have multiple uh, power five offers. So it's not like they're, you know, robbing the Mac as some, some mm-hmm. Iowa fans would, would say or whatever. They're not, they're not doing that. They're, um, they're getting guys with, with legit power five offers, uh, to good schools that, that they just seem to have developed this good chemistry. I mean, I give you the good example is, um, you know, like, uh, well, how about, like the, the Devin Kennedy and Joseph Anderson. I mean, Kennedy had a Penn State offer. I don't know if it's still active or, or what, but you know, his dad, Jimmy, played at Penn State in mm-hmm. midst Iowa, and that's a kid from Arizona. That's that's right. coming to, to Iowa, and then Joseph Anderson, you know, another kid with you know, kind of the NFL bloodlines, and um, we had you know, on on three, they had him basically uh, locked for Nebraska. And um, commits on his visit, basically. I mean, he commits shortly after his visit. And uh, it's a kid they got out of St. Louis. And, and just a huge developmental project um, that just the raw materials there with like a you know, seven-foot wingspan and mm. he's 210 pounds and he's a hurdler, but you, know, you could easily pack 50 pounds on him, not lose any of his step, and he'll still have that big wingspan, and he's got a quick first step, obviously. So, and that's just, he's going to be fascinating to watch um, develop. They've they've had a nice run with, with them and with um, in defensive backs, getting Rashad uh, Godfrey out of Florida, too. Sure. And, and they're, um, you know, and they still might add another defensive lineman. Uh, Chimacheke is, is still... Um, set to announce and and I've already put in a think back in late June that he's he's going to pick Iowa. So wow. the only kid that they they haven't got out of that visit weekend uh and that includes uh, Graham Ebb and the the kid from um up in Northwest Iowa that's teammates with uh Vanderzee, uh Reese Vanderzee, mm-hmm. uh who's going to be walking on. Uh the only kid that they don't have so far is uh Xavier Lucas, the, the another kid from Florida who's who made officials to Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa during the month of June. Okay, so they still got a shot at him. Yep, okay. still got a shot. I think they're all on our thing, uh, on our prediction machine that kind of reads like algorithms of visits and everything. It's it's science. I can't figure it out. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, they basically got all of them at like 25%, okay. something like that. So So it's... Illinois slightly, but um, I think it's a you know it's still still a shot for Iowa. Okay, so pretty much for sure going to have twenty commits soon. So this class is 
Virtually done. I want to give on three uh, uh, a hat tip here. Uh, came out with the top three hundred, and Iowa had four players on that. That's pretty. That's pretty good to have four guys in the in the top three hundred, and uh, led by offensive lineman Will Nolan, number one seventy seven. Yeah. Out of Illinois, Drew Campbell, Jack's brother out of Cedar Falls, 189, edge guy. Uh, Derek uh, Wieskopf of Williamsburg, uh, not Wieskamp, Wieskopf, um, yeah. number 206. And then Anderson, who you mentioned out of St. Louis uh, at 269. So obviously that you guys see see him as a big prospect too. So uh, that seems significant to me, right? Iowa doesn't get a ton of top 300 kids typically, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, seeing Nolan get that big jump was was huge. And um, I'm really high on uh, Wieskopf. I just I just think that kid's going to be terrific. I mean, he's a well, like four sport athletes at mm-hmm. Williamsburg, and just does everything well. Big time leaper and everything. I mean, you know, as much as Drew Campbell is coming in, and you want to use the, kind of the name. Um, Derek might be the next kind of Jack Campbell prototype mm. player. You know, tall, rangy linebacker. Yeah. yeah, tall, rangy linebacker. Um, if he doesn't grow into a defensive end. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, that's the other thing. You know. Well, they got several guys kind of built like that, so they could move. They can make one a linebacker, one at the end, maybe something like that. Yeah, and I think one of the things they're doing with some of those guys is they're just like, hey, these guys are really good athletes. And we can kind of figure it out as we go. You just yeah. go out and get good athletes, and and then you can make them into a D end, or throw them into a D tackle, or um, you know move them from safety to linebacker, or whatever. And just as long as you get the good athlete in there, that's really what you want. Yeah, uh, Iowa picked up its first class of 2025 commitment recently in Pleasant Valley D lineman Joey Van Wetzinga. Um, uh, last question for you, Tom. Tyler Barnes kind of tweeted out recently, uh, this this is and always will be a Hawkeye State. I may be paraphrasing, uh, but not long ago. But uh, I think Iowa got you know eight of the nine top prospects yeah. in the state of Iowa, and I think K-State might be getting the other one. Uh, so what do, you th- yeah. what do you make of Iowa kind of cleaning Iowa State's clock in state, uh, even as Kirk Ferentz nears his 68th birthday on August 1st? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, and- because I thought Matt Campbell was kind of making some headway and Iowa just kind of put their foot down this year and just, but I was kind of got they're getting guys from what I would call their, their strongholds, mm-hmm. you know, like Northwest Iowa, they seem to get those guys, um, you know, mm-hmm. especially out of central lion high school. I mean, Good old LeVar. Just, uh, yeah. So just LeVar's that's LeVar's stomping grounds, man. He's just gonna, they, the kids can't say no to him up no. there. He's a legend. There. And, and he, does he still do St. Louis Iowa. too? Yeah. So he got Anderson. He got uh, Kennedy, right? So yeah, he and uh, yeah, he and um, you know, and Kelvin was okay. big. Yeah, both those guys too. So, um, but they're you know, and, and they're I was still holding control in in Eastern Iowa. I mean, you know, you mentioned Joey. I mean, I've I've known Rusty his dad for a long time. Uh, you know, just he's the, the coach there now, but you know, knew Rusty when we played soft, slow pitch softball and stuff. Oh, wow. So, and he's just, yeah, and Joey's just, he's the, he's a, he's going to be a classic Iowa center, just tough as nails, just uh, loves physicality, uh, good leader. I mean, he's just, 
he's going to come right in. And, and, you know, his brother's walking on this year, too, Rusty Jr. Fullback, um, right? Yeah. is coming in as fullback and watch out. I mean, there's some openings there and uh, I fully expect, as we call him, little rusty to uh, <laughs> make an impact. He's not little at all either, but I think he's going to have a chance to, to have some impact too. Well, thanks Tom for your uh, awesome insight. We'll talk to you on the wind totals podcast here in a few weeks and I'll see you in Indianapolis. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Tom. Uh, final thought here, or final nuggets, I should say, uh, in these final moments. Uh, we have made a new hire to replace Kennington Smith. I'm pleased to report uh, we have hired uh, Tyler Tashman, formerly of the Indianapolis Star, who covered the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, he will join the Des Moines Register on Monday, this Monday, the 17th. And uh, pleased to say that we are planning a YouTube podcast that afternoon at 1 o'clock Central to introduce Tyler to you guys. Uh, I'll be sending out the link on my social media uh, as the as that time approaches. So just wanted to share that bit of good news. So anyway, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, one of the last low-key weeks of the summer, uh, even though uh, it really wasn't. Uh, next week, I've got a special interview set up. I'll fill you in on that as we get closer to make sure it comes to fruition. But uh, I guarantee you're going to enjoy that show next Wednesday night here on Hawk Central, uh, 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone.